Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadee Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where we'll be doing guided breathing mindfulness meditation. We're about three and a half months into our group learning program. So if you're joining us for the first time, this is a wonderful time to join because you'll get a chance to learn breathing mindfulness meditation and do this with us together. On Wednesdays, we do either breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. And in the past, I did a four-part series on breathing mindfulness meditation. I started off that first series talking about the benefits of meditation and how to actually do meditation. And we went through a lot of details about meditation itself, which if you remember, it's a dedicated, active, purposeful training session where we're either eliminating unwholesome qualities from the mind or we're arising wholesome qualities. And here in breathing mindfulness meditation, we're eliminating the unwholesome quality of craving, desire, attachment, and we're arising mindfulness or awareness of mind. And we're also developing concentration or singleness of mind. Next week, we'll be doing loving-kindness meditation in our Wednesday session, and we'll be alternating these throughout the rest of the program, which is another three and a half months. So we'll be doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving-kindness meditation every other week. And this is to help you build up your practice from the four-part series that we did with breathing mindfulness meditation in the four-part series that we did with loving-kindness meditation. And then, of course, we did that four-part series of Buddhist chanting as well so that now today and the rest of the Wednesdays you can be putting this together where you're doing the chanting with breathing mindfulness meditation or we're doing chanting breathing mindfulness meditation and then loving kindness meditation with some more breathing mindfulness and more chanting at the end so now all the skills for this practice of meditation should be developed through our training that we've done. Of course, there's more work to do, especially if you're just starting or if you've only been learning with me for the last three and a half months, there's more for you to learn. Even though you went through those four-part series of each type of training, there's still more for you to develop. And that's what Wednesdays are about, is to help you develop those skills and give you a chance to ask questions. But also, in between the Wednesdays, each practitioner should be developing a practice where two to three times a day you're meditating morning midday and or evening where you dedicate some time to actively train the mind and you may need to build up to that where you're meditating not just two or three times a day but about 30 minutes or more and most people when they first start out aren't at that type of schedule you need to kind of make some space in your life you have to get the mind 
trained and willing to be able to do meditation for a 30-minute session or longer. Oftentimes when people first start out, five, 10 minutes is kind of where they're at. Then they slowly kind of expand that to 15, 20, 25 minutes, and then ultimately 30 minutes and beyond. And what you'll see is as you expand your practice and you develop it more and more, you'll notice that the improvements to the condition of the mind start to come in gradually. And that's one of the beauties about Gautama Buddha's teachings is you're not believing his teachings. You're actually learning them, you're reflecting on them, and then you're practicing to see the truth yourself. So you don't believe the things that I share. You don't believe that meditation can help you. You don't believe in the three universal truths or the four noble truths or the eightfold path or the five precepts. You don't believe these things. You learn reflect and then practice and see the truth for yourself that they're working to improve the condition of the mind where discontentedness gradually gradually starts to diminish and then ultimately when the mind's enlightened it is fully extinguished where you observe that the mind is peaceful calm serene and content with joy permanently there's no more anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. All of these discontent feelings and others are completely eliminated from the mind. Breathing mindfulness meditation is a primary training that the Buddha used on this path to enlightenment. And he emphasizes this over and over and over in his teachings. And the reason why breathing mindfulness meditation is a primary training is because what we're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is we're eliminating that unwholesome root of craving, desire, attachment. That's the primary reason why the mind is discontent is because of craving, desire, attachment. That's what causes the discontentedness. So this path to enlightenment, this purification of the mind cleaning out these three unwholesome roots or these three poisons, the primary poison or the primary unwholesome root that is causing the discontentedness is craving, desire, attachment. So that's why this training is so important. And the Buddha always pointed to this one as the primary training for the mind. And then, of course, as part of this training, we're arising the wholesome quality or the mental quality of mindfulness this awareness of mind being able to be aware of the mind at all times and then of course right concentration both of these qualities are major steps on the eightfold path right mindfulness and right concentration this will help to bring the mind to the middle where it's performing optimally where it can have focus clarity of mind deep concentration and deep memory to be able to then perform in life with better qualities of mind. So you would do really good things for yourself by training and learning breathing mindfulness meditation and then using it regularly in your practice about two or three times per day. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class today and invite you to do some meditation with us. And then after meditation, we will open things up to any questions that you guys have about meditation itself or about anything along this path that we've been discussing as part of our group learning program or part of anything that you've been exposed to along the path of Buddhist teachings, I can help you by answering any questions that you guys have. And the way that you'll end up asking those questions is putting them into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. In the comment section, our moderators will see those. Or 
you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly that you might have. So if you'd like to pull up a meditation cushion or if you'd like to sit in a chair or you like to lay on the floor or stand, these are all positions that can easily be done through an online session. There's also a walking position as well, but that one tends to be done when you're not online. It's not as easy to teach an online class with walking meditation unless there's someone to kind of move the camera around as I'm doing walking meditation. But if you're interested in learning that, there's a video on our YouTube channel that will help you to learn walking meditation. So go ahead and get your body comfortable. If you're in the seated position, that's going to be if you're on the floor, maybe with some cushions under your rear, your legs lightly crossed not real tight because they'll end up falling asleep and maybe becoming painful. If you're in a chair, it means your lower body's comfortable. Maybe your feet are flat on the floor or they're crossed at your ankles. It's totally up to you. It's not about everybody doing this exactly the same. It's about being sure that the body's comfortable, not luxurious and not completely relaxed, but comfortable in the middle. Then your hands and arms should rest comfortably in your lap. The Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left with his thumbs together. And then he placed that into his lap as a way of just kind of relaxing the hands and arms. So the lower body and hands and arms should just be completely relaxed. The upper body should be erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert. So if the muscles around the spine are erect, then the mind will be attentive and alert during meditation because meditation is an active, dedicated, purposeful training session. We're not just zoning out here. We're not just completely zoning out and falling asleep or relaxing the mind. That's not what this meditation is about. This meditation is about doing the work to actively train the mind to arise that mindfulness and concentration while eliminating craving, desire, attachment. So that's why we need to have an active, attentive, alert mind during meditation. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Establish a nice, steady, consistent breath. Breathing in. in out breathing in in out your breath may not match up to the guidance that I'm providing and that's okay. The guidance here is just as a reminder for you. This is your practice. While I'm guiding you in this practice, it's your practice. It's you doing the work here. This guidance is just as cues or reminders for you to breathe in nice and steady. In out. And 
nice gradual breath in through the nose experiencing the full breath and then exhale gradually experiencing the full exhale without forcing the breath nice gradual inhale and exhale start bringing the awareness of the mind to the breath fixate the mind on the sound of the breath either the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose fixating the mind on the breath is to bring the mind into the present moment the breath is the present moment it's right now breathing in and out Breathing in and out. Stay here fixated on the breath, just continuing to breathe gradually in through the nose and out through the nose. Become aware of the breath. Fixate the mind there. I'm gonna do some chanting. You're welcome to join along if you know these chants. And then afterwards, I'll be back with some more guidance.
the full breath, breathing in and out. Breathing in should have the mind fixated on the breath, the sound of the breath or sensation of air moving into the nose. Whenever a thought arises during meditation, cut that off and let it go. Wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, cut it off, let it go and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in. In out. As you're focusing on the breath, 
and any thoughts arise don't try to judge the thought don't try to label it don't try to figure out where it's coming from just whenever you observe that the mind is not on the breath either it's in the past the future having thoughts ideas perceptions just cut those off let them go and come back to the breath the present moment breathing in in out breathing in and out I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work Focusing the mind on the breath and cutting off any thoughts, bringing the mind back to the breath. This is your practice. Not even interested in your mind holding on to the sound of this voice. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. In, out.
to slowly make your way out of meditation. Just gradually ease the mind out. Each Wednesday we come together like this as a way to encourage, motivate, and support each other in our practice because as you may know that this is an independent practice where we're all working independently on our journey to enlightenment. But as a community, we come together in order to support and encourage each other along this path. Of course, coming together to learn the teachings, but also there's times when we can meditate together. You'd like to be about 80 or 90% of the time that you're meditating to be alone because that's what you need to do is train the mind to be alone. And when you're comfortable sitting alone, then you can be with anybody in the world and be completely content because you're content being alone as well. But it does help, you know, maybe 10 or 20 percent of the time to be meditating as part of a community, either here online or wherever you live. If you 
are part of a community that's in person that you can meditate with others it's always nice to connect with other people who are on the path and learning the path to enlightenment through Gautama Buddha's teachings so this is our time on Sunday and Wednesdays to come together for the group learning program and then on Saturdays we come together for the Pali Canon and English study group where we start off with a meditation and you're welcome to just come for meditation if you like and then afterwards, we actually study the Pali Canon in English, which is the original source teachings of the Buddha. We have volumes 1 through 13 of this book series. And in this program, the group learning program, we dive into and explore volume 1. In the Pali Canon English study group, we explore volumes 2 through 13. And that class is done very differently than this group learning program. So you're welcome to attend all of these if you'd like or any of them and they're all recorded so you can be able to listen back to the ones that you miss if you aren't able to attend live. So I'd like to go ahead and open things up to any questions that you guys have either Facebook, YouTube or Zoom. You can just put your question in the comment section. Our moderators will see that and be sure your question gets asked during the class. And if you're in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically asking any questions or follow-up questions. This is your time to be able to seek guidance on anything that you're experiencing in your journey to enlightenment. Hi, David. So we started off with a class on karma on, on Sunday, so I thought I would start off with a question about karma. Sure. I was wondering, how does meditation affect our karma? All right, excellent. So remember, karma is cause and effect or action and result. It's the results of our decisions. And we talked about wholesome gamma and unwholesome gamma. And then we also talked about new gamma and old gamma. Your old gamma is decisions that you made in the past and you're experiencing the results of those now. So any decisions you made prior to today, <clears throat> either in this life or a prior life, if you're experiencing the results of those decisions, <clears throat> that's old gamma decisions that you're making right now is your new gamma and that's what you're going to be experiencing in the future from today forward and then the wholesome gamma are things that you're making decisions through the three wholesome roots of generosity loving kindness and wisdom unwholesome gamma is gamma or the results of your decisions that are made through craving, anger, and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality. So when you're making a decision to meditate today, this is new gamma, and it's wholesome gamma. So it's new wholesome gamma, because you're making the decision through wisdom to cultivate the mind. That's a wholesome root. The wholesome roots are generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So you're using the wisdom of this path to enlightenment to now actively train the mind in meditation right now so that now through training the mind the results of your decision is that your mind eliminates these unwholesome qualities of craving desire attachment it arises these wholesome qualities of mindfulness and concentration and now you're producing this gamma or the results of your decisions that from now forward, you're benefiting from the accumulation of this meditation practice where you're clearing out the pollution of the mind and you're arising these wholesome qualities. 
So oftentimes this word gamma is used as like a mystical, magical thing of punishment and rewards or this black cloud that's following you around. That's not what gamma is at all. It's just the results of your decisions. So by making the decision to attend a class like this, you're able to learn, reflect, and practice teachings more that's going to help you in your daily life to train the mind and improve the condition of the mind in your life. By meditating today in class and or regularly throughout your days and weeks, you're making the decision to train the mind, invest this time in order to work on the mind. So the result of that decision is that you're going to have a better condition of mind. The mind's going to come more to the middle. And the Buddha used this middle way when he talked about like playing a stringed instrument. If the instrument's too loose and you pluck the string, it doesn't play beautiful music. Or if it's too tight and you pluck the string, it doesn't play beautiful music. It's only when it's tuned perfectly in the middle. So if you're tuning a stringed instrument, the results of your decisions are that the instrument's going to play more beautiful music. And if you take the time to do that before your playing session, and maybe a little bit of tune-ups during your playing session, then you're going to have real beautiful music because you've made the choice and taken the time to tune the instrument. So now you've got this beautiful music coming out. And if you've been practicing regularly with that instrument, then you've got the ability to play this instrument really beautifully. And you've got this beautiful skill and this wonderful ability to play beautiful music. And it's a really enjoyable activity that you have for yourself. That's the results of your decisions. The same thing with meditation. If you take the time to develop your life practice, develop your meditation practice as part of that life practice, then as you progress in this training, you're constantly tuning this instrument of the mind in meditation, but also outside of meditation, there's things that you do as well in order to make sure that you're actively practicing the teachings. And in this way, you're always tuning this instrument and making sure you're bringing it to the middle more and more and more. And then it plays beautiful music. Your mind will function optimally. The way that it's intended to play is that it's supposed to be focused, concentrated with clarity of mind and deep memorization. That's the way the mind is supposed to function when it's tuned optimally. But most often, when we're not in the enlightened mental state, when the mind is unenlightened, then it's muddle-minded the way that the Buddha talked about it, or it's lacking clear comprehension. So therefore, the mind has this pollution, so it doesn't have this clarity, this brilliance, this radiant brightness in the mind that people experience as the mind attains enlightenment. So by tuning the mind like this and making the decision to do that in meditation and outside of meditation, the results of your decisions are that your mind is more optimally tuned and you get this benefit of focus, concentration, clarity of mind, and deep memorization. So in some sense, I think we often feel that karma is a result of our direct actions in the world, but in some sense, karma springs from the mind and as we cultivate the mind through meditation, that's inevitably going to affect our actions and then affect the karma that we put into the world. Is, is that correct? Everything that you do in life, it's all through the mind. Everything's experienced through the mind. Nothing happens 
for this being that we call James or David or Bassam or Nal, Donnie and others, nothing happens for us in this life unless it goes through the mind. So by clarifying the mind and eradicating pollution, you now have this more purified mind to make wise decisions that lead to wholesome results. But if we allow this pollution to reside in the mind, then when we're making decisions, we're making decisions through this pollution. So if we have a polluted mind, it's going to motivate unskillful intention, speech, and actions. But the more pure our mind is, the more we operate through these wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And the more that we antidote and eradicate these 10 fetters, removing those poisons out of the mind, those pollutions out of the mind, then what you do is you're making decisions through this wisdom that then leads to wholesome results. And it's the whole entire path, including meditation, that allows us to do that. So our gamma is generated through the decisions that we make in the mind. But if the mind's polluted, we're going to be making unwise, unwholesome decisions. And that's what we experience in life is the results of our decisions. So if our life is complicated or difficult or we have struggles, this is all because of the results of our decisions. But conversely, if our life is at ease, if our mind is peaceful and calm and joyful, this is a result of our decisions too because we've trained our mind and now we have this wisdom to function through these natural laws of existence that the Buddha taught namely the natural law of gamma. And when we understand the natural law of gamma, now we can make wise decisions through this natural law because we understand how the world works. Instead of having a polluted mind where we think we have to change the world and there's all these problems, yes, there's challenges in the world, but the world's functioning based on these natural laws of existence. Oftentimes what the unenlightened mind thinks is going to solve the problem is going out and fixing everyone else. The unenlightened mind thinks that everyone else is the problem and we need to fix everyone else. In reality, that never works. That never works because there's 7.5 billion people in the world and we can't train 7.5 billion people. You can only train one person and that's this person that you are right now. So when you focus on what the real problem is, which is your own pollution of mind, and you train the mind and you clear that out, that's where you start seeing true results in your life. So rather than hanging on and craving for the world to be a certain way and trying to fix everyone else, you direct that energy inward to your own mind, discovering what those problems are that the Buddha talked about as part of this path. And when you discover what those problems are, he also gives you the solutions to those problems and you don't believe them. You learn them, reflect on them, and then you practice. And then when you practice, this is what improves the condition of the mind. Learning Buddhism is not just an intellectual pursuit. There's a big part of it that is intellectual and learning intellectually, but you don't actually change the condition of the mind through just intellectual learning. A scholar or an academic is just academic intellectual learning there's lots of scholars that understand the teachings from an intellectual perspective but it's a practitioner that starts reflecting on the teachings and then practicing them and then that through that practice is where you truly discover the truth you deepen your wisdom and you change the condition of the mind 
where if you're just over here on the intellectual side, you don't get that. You don't get the change in the condition of the mind. So by changing the condition of the mind through your practice, practicing meditation, yes, but also practicing right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, all eight steps of the Eightfold Path. And then ultimately when you're enlightened, you're also practicing the other two factors, which is right wisdom and right liberation. This is part of the Tenfold Path that we don't really talk about in this program too much, but it's in the book in chapter five. I put a section in there talking about those other two factors of the path that an enlightened being is going to be practicing. So when you're practicing all 10 factors of the path, this is where the mind has cleared out the pollution and now you're making decisions that always lead to wholesome results. There's nothing and no one that can shake up the mind of an enlightened being because it's steady, it's stable, it knows the truth, all the pollution is out of the mind, it's eradicated all those 10 fetters, everything that you do is always done in a wholesome way with wisdom, so therefore everything turns out to be beneficial and wholesome for you because you're always making wise decisions. I suppose that in addition to cultivating the mind, we can also be confident during meditation that we're not causing harm and that, that we are following the path. Is that correct? Yeah, when you're meditating, you're actually practicing all eight factors of the full path, all eight steps, because that right view is all of, you know, there's the Four Noble Truths. And, you know, I take, you know, many, many hours to explain the full path, but right view there's you know the crux of that along with the four noble truths and everything is that you're accepting responsibility for your own discontent mind and you realize that in order to improve your experience in this world that you need to focus on your own mind and improving the condition of your own mind there's a lot of details the right view besides that but that's the crux of it well when you're meditating you have right view you might not have right view at other times during your day you might blame other people for your anger or your frustration or your irritation. You might blame other people. That would be wrong view because other people aren't causing your discontentedness. You're causing it yourself. But at the time that you're meditating, you do have right view because you know, okay, I need to train this mind. This mind needs to be trained. So therefore, I'm going to do meditation. And then you're also practicing all the other factors like right intention right speech you're not talking during meditation you're not causing harm through your actions so you're practicing right action you most likely are practicing right livelihood unless you're doing one of those five that we talk about in this program you're practicing right effort the sixth step which is taking the effort to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities you're also practicing right mindfulness which is awareness of mind arising that mindfulness and you're also practicing right concentration which is singleness of mind focusing on a single object and just doing one thing at a time so with all the detail that i've ever taught about the eightfold path when you're meditating you're practicing the entire eightfold path at one time for 30 minutes or 20 minutes or however long you're meditating for this is why it's so impactful for your mind is that you're essentially practicing the full path to perfection for that time right and then after 
30 minutes of that, then you finish and it's like, oh, wow, I can notice the real benefits to the condition of the mind. But then the thing is, is you've got to take that eightfold path and now you've got to practice it in daily life. You can't meditate all the way through your day. That's a dedicated, active, purposeful training session of the mind. But you can practice all those other steps on the Eightfold Path. Right view all the way through right concentration can be practiced in daily life through the way that I taught. And by you practicing the Eightfold Path throughout the rest of your life, throughout the rest of your day, this is what's going to transform the mind. It's going to transform your life it's going to transform your personal and professional relationships because now you're not causing any harm not only are you not causing any harm in meditation because you're just sitting there meditating and training the mind but when you now take that same eightfold path and you practice it in daily life and you practice it to perfection you're not causing any harm in daily life to anybody around you so therefore people feel very comfortable to be with you they feel very comfortable to engage with you in conversation. They are very willing to help you with projects or things that you need help with. They view you as a very warm, loving, compassionate, kind, polite, friendly, respectful being. And this generates wholesome gamma for you because your choice is to clean up your life practice and practice the AFO path when you're interacting with people they don't know the Eightfold Path. They're not judging you, right? People who are off this path, they don't know what the Eightfold Path is and they're not necessarily judging you. But when they observe your interactions with them and the conversations you have with them and your way of being around them, they observe these wholesome qualities that the Buddha taught, all the parts of the Eightfold Path, including things like loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, which we'll talk about in chapter 14, and other wholesome qualities as part of this path, like generosity and other things. They don't see any selfishness. They don't see any arrogance or pride. They don't see all these other pollutions of mind that exist in the unenlightened state. So as you gradually move your mind closer and closer to enlightenment, your life really blossoms where you find it so easy to interact with people and people find you to be very warm and very loving and very generous. So people are more than willing to engage with you in conversation or if you're having certain opportunities professionally where maybe you have business opportunities, people feel very comfortable engaging with you because you don't steal, you know, you don't lie, you're a truth speaker, you have all this kindness and love and respect and generosity they see all these wholesome qualities in you so they're like yeah i'll engage with this person i'll do business with this person and same thing in your personal life if you have neighbors or friends or boyfriends girlfriends life partners children they all respond to you very well because you're practicing these good wholesome teachings but that's the results of your decisions that's the gamma the results of your decisions through this cause and effect, this action and result by you taking the time, effort, energy and resources to invest in developing your life practice. Now, by clearing that pollution out of your mind, now this radiance, this enlightened mind shines forth and people even that don't know what enlightenment is and they don't even know maybe that you're enlightened, 
but they can feel this warmth and this being who really has this loving kindness and compassion and this generosity, as I talked about, they can feel that in your interactions with them. And that's why you'll find that your personal and professional relationships will blossom and it won't be a struggle and difficult in life to interact and accomplish the things that you need to accomplish. Thank you, David. That's very clarifying. I believe Bassam has a couple questions, so let's go to Bassam now. Thanks, James. Well, at the beginning of the meditation guidance, you shared that the mind shouldn't be relaxed. So why meditation? What's the difference between a relaxed mind and an active mind? So your mind should be at ease during meditation. Like it shouldn't be uptight and real stressed, but it shouldn't be complacent either during meditation. It should be in the middle where it's attentive and alert and active so that while you're meditating and you're focused on the breath, you're actively focusing on the breath. You're aware of the breath, every breath, experiencing that full breath on the inhale experiencing that gap between the inhale and the exhale and then experiencing the gradual slow exhale with that gap between the exhale and the inhale so you're actively paying attention to this breath and then you're attentively and actively alert that whenever the mind is off the breath you observe it and you cut it off and bring it back so that's where you would like to be active during your meditation and you need to be attentive to the mind whereas if you're in meditation and you're just kind of like zoning off and thinking about what you're going to eat tonight for dinner or what you're going to do throughout your day or what you have to do tomorrow when you go to work or you see a certain friend or if your mind drifts into the future or it drifts into the past and you just kind of indulge the mind in that and allow that to happen then it's not in the present moment. Your mind's too relaxed. It's drifting to one side or the other, to the past or to the future. You're allowing it to have all this erroneous thoughts. But if you're attentive and alert during your meditation, actively training the mind, then you're focused on the breath. But the mind's still at ease, but you're focused on the breath attentively with alertness. And then with mindfulness, awareness of mind, Whenever you observe that the mind is not on the breath, you catch it and you can catch it sooner and sooner and sooner and let go of those thoughts easier and easier and easier. And that's where it becomes real beneficial in daily life so that if something happens in your daily life and you observe frustration or irritation starting to arise, you can easily let it go because you had mindfulness. You were aware, ah, there's the frustration. I don't like that. It's not going to produce anything beneficial. Cut that off. Let it go. And if you train in meditation regularly and consistently over a long period of time, then you'll be able to readily observe when the mind's not in the middle during your daily life. And you'll be able to easily cut off those thoughts that are arising this discontentedness in the mind. But if you didn't stay attentive and alert during meditation and actively train the mind, then you wouldn't have those same qualities outside of meditation to be able to actively and attentively train the mind outside of meditation because your your training doesn't stop when you are 
driving down the road, when you're in a conversation with your wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, when you're in a conversation with your children or your coworkers, wherever you are, you're always attentive to the mind and aware of the mind as you're engaging in conversation and as things are happening. And the way that you get to that level of clarity, that level of crispness, that level of ability to be aware of the mind is through training and meditation. So your meditation is like your foundation, your, your constant, steady, ongoing training. But then you take those benefits outside of meditation and then use those to your advantage to observe the mind as you're driving down the road in the car. You observe your mind's drifting to the past or it's going to the future. Cut that off and let it go and just focus on the road. This is how people get in car accidents. They're driving, but they're thinking about something else. And then they get in a car accident. And that's the results of their decisions. Or they're in a business meeting. Now they're in the business meeting supposed to be taking in content with their team or with their boss or with their colleagues or their business partners. And their mind's drifting to something else when they should be paying attention to what's going on in the meeting and they don't perform as well at work and then they don't get raises or compensation or they don't get promotions at work because their mind isn't crisp and alert and concentrated and focused on the job at hand. So when we train this mind to perform optimally the way that it was intended to perform like this beautiful instrument, then in our personal life and our professional life, we use those qualities of mind to our benefit that now in our personal and professional relationships, they blossom and we get so much more results out of our relationships and out of our life because we're now making the wise decision to eradicate this pollution and arise these wholesome qualities. And meditation is a big catalyst for that, that if you're doing meditation two or three times a day, being very attentive to the mind, then you're going to have a tendency to do that same thing during your daily life is be attentive to the mind and be sure that you're actively training it throughout your day. Well, uh, someone asked this question a couple of days ago. Uh, why the focus is it should be on the breath, not on a heart beating, for example? The breath is the present moment. And what you're doing is when the mind is longing, when it's having that craving desire attachment that causes discontentedness, it's going to long and yearn for the past. It's going to long and yearn for the future. It's going to long and yearn for all these thoughts, ideas, perceptions. The unrelated mind is not going to want to sit there and focus on the breath. It just doesn't want to do it. It's like a wild animal. It's an untamed animal. So by sitting in meditation, focusing on the breath, breathing in through the nose, it's the present moment right now. And it's something that you can hear. It's something you can experience. It's something you can feel. You can't necessarily feel the heartbeat or be aware of the heartbeat during your meditation. Not everybody could be aware of their heartbeat during meditation, but the breath being the present moment and right here where the, the brain and the mind and everything else is, you can really focus on the breath and that becomes your point of fixation. That's where you can fixate the mind and get the mind trained and comfortable with residing in the present moment because the mind doesn't want to reside in the present moment. It wants to be somewhere else. It wants to be this wild animal 
pulling in all these different directions because it's untamed. So what you're doing is you're taming this wild animal to be in the present moment. Sit down. Just sit here. Just be calm. Just sit here. And then boom, it pulls. You know, it, It's like a dog on a leash. It sees a squirrel or a bird and it boom, it bolts You know, for the squirrel or the bird and you have to yank it back or it gets to the end of its leash and it yanks itself back. So what you're doing with the mind is when you feel the mind lurching for the past, you're yanking it back to the breath, the breath, the anchor, or when it longs for the future and yearns for the future, chases after the future, you grab it and you pull it back to the breath. The breath is that present moment. And it's something that's loud enough and observant enough that you can observe it in your meditation practice. And it's the present moment. And it's something that you can fixate your mind on. So the goal is to train the mind to be at the present moment, not to be focused most of the time on breath. So, for example, while walking, it's not suggested to be focused on breath. Right. So these are two different things. So when you're in meditation, you're cutting off all thoughts and you're focused on the breath, all thoughts and you're focusing on the breath. That's your training in meditation. But when you're outside of meditation, you're not cutting off all your thoughts. You're only cutting off the unwholesome thoughts. And you're not focusing on the breath because it would be impossible for you to have a conversation and focus on the breath at the same time because that's two different things. And the mind can only do one thing at a time. It can't physically do two things at a time. So what you do in training versus what you do in real life are two different things. It's just like a athlete right if we take like a football player whether it's soccer or football or whether it's american football or whatever you want to call it those people they run with the ball they kick the ball they grab the ball they tackle people they they score goals and all these things right that's what they do in their in their sport but when they're training they're doing sprints they're doing weightlifting, they're doing cardiovascular training, they're doing all kinds of different training that ultimately builds up to what they actually perform when they're doing their professional sport. So the same thing is when we're in meditation, we're training in one way, which is to cut off all thoughts, focus on the breath, bring the mind to the present moment, arise this mindfulness and concentration. And doing that by focusing on the present moment, the breath. But in daily life, with our mind now in the present moment more, with us having this awareness of mind or mindfulness, with us having this singleness of mind or right concentration, with us having less and less craving, desire, attachment, making it easier for us to cut things off and let it go, now we use those skills that we've cultivated in our meditation in our daily life. So that while we're going through our daily life, with mindfulness, when we're aware of frustration or anger that might arise, you're aware of it because you have mindfulness and now you cut it off and let it go because you're able to do that because you train that in meditation. But when you're in daily life, if you're having a wholesome thought, if you're concentrated, if you have singleness of mind and you're focusing in a business meeting and a wholesome thought arises and you're like, oh, I have an idea. Why don't we do this instead of this idea? How about if we do this? You're not going to cut that off and let it go because you need that in order to help you in life. Or if you're with your family and you have an idea of like, hey, why don't we do this this weekend? You know, maybe it's Wednesday and you're like, 
hey family, I have this idea. How about this weekend, we all go out for a picnic and we go to the park and we spend some time together. So even though you're in the present moment talking to your family right now, you can talk about things that are in the future and kind of make plans for the future. So even though we're training our mind to be in the present moment, the present moment is I'm talking to my family right now and I'm having this engaging conversation with them. But that doesn't mean that we can't talk about what might transpire in the future and make plans for the future. So we use these skills that we cultivate in meditation in our daily life, but we're not going to be focused on the breath and we're not going to be cutting off the wholesome thoughts in daily life. It's a little bit different in terms of the training versus what we're doing in daily life. In daily life, even though we don't focus on the breath, let's just say you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off and then boom, you hit your brakes and you're stopped at a stoplight. Well, rather than be angry and frustrated and yell and give the middle finger to the person, which is going to produce unwholesome results, instead, maybe while you're at that traffic light, you do close your eyes and you do focus on the breath for two or three or four breaths. And that maybe helps you kind of resync the mind. It's not a meditation, but you're bringing your mind to kind of the same qualities that you experience in meditation. So you can use these kind of things in daily life. Or if you're in a business meeting and the business meeting goes really horribly and then you walk out to your car, there's no problem with you sitting there for two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it is and do a little brief meditation in your car and focus on the breath. But you're not going to be able to focus on the breath and have your business meeting at the same time. It's not going to be possible for you to do that. But that same quality of mind in meditation of a rising mindfulness and right concentration or singleness of mind, that's what you would like to practice in daily life, is that you're always aware of the mind, that you're always focusing with concentration or singleness of mind. And then whenever you are aware that the mind is longing or craving or yearning, having this strong eagerness, that craving, desire, attachment, whenever you observe the mind doing that in daily life, Outside of meditation, wherever you observe the minds doing that, you cut it off and let it go. So if you're in the car and you're feeling this craving and this yearning just to get to your destination and you're pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and you're riding on the gas pedal, then you know that's craving and the mind's yearning to get to where you're going. And that's not wholesome if you allow that craving to continue. So you got to restrain the mind. You got to pull it back. You're not going to be focused on the breath to pull it back because you're driving, but you've got to use those qualities that you cultivated in meditation to now restrain the mind and pull it back when you're driving in the car. So you train in meditation for certain qualities to eliminate and arise wholesome qualities, and then you use those benefits in your daily life to maintain the middle and protect the mind to come more in the middle. And then as you get better and better at keeping the mind in the middle, it'll reside there for longer and longer and longer periods of time where it won't ever slip out of the middle. That's where it becomes effortless, where your mind is just for a week or three or two months or three months or six months, your mind doesn't get shaken up. It's not discontent about anything. It's just in the middle residing there permanently. And that would be enlightenment. 
But then if the mind's not enlightened, then you're going to experience these elongated periods of calmness and contentedness and joy, but then it's going to slip out of the middle occasionally. But then when you're aware of it, because of mindfulness, you can cut it off and bring it right back. And it's easily able to bring it back to the middle because you've been training the mind to reside there more and more. So when you're finding the middle and the mind is at ease and you feel that peacefulness and you know that the mind is in the middle, you'd like to keep it there and protect that contentedness and maintain that middle for longer and longer periods of time. And that's where ultimately the mind gets to enlightenment where you've gone a year or two or three and you haven't experienced any discontentedness at all. And you know, wow, you pretty much know that your mind's enlightened. You're not really interested in admitting that to yourself because that can be dangerous. But you know, like, yeah, I haven't experienced discontentedness for this elongated period of time. And that's where life is very peaceful because you've figured out these natural laws of existence. The Buddha calls it final knowledge, that you've acquired final knowledge, that now you've got this wisdom of how to walk this path. And every day it's just effortless, where as you're building up to enlightenment, you've got to really have that attentiveness and that alertness all the time in meditation and in daily life, that wherever the mind's not in the middle, you've got to have that awareness and cut it off and bring it back to the middle. But then it gets so comfortable being in the middle that it just resides there permanently and without any effort whatsoever. But there's a lot of effort to get it to that point. Yeah, we're Thanks, You're welcome. This seems to be all the questions we have for today, David. All right. Well, thank you all for joining for our meditation session today. As I mentioned, it's a great way to encourage and motivate and support your practice coming together as a group. This Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 10 of the book titled, What is Merit? And this is an important chapter to now kind of add on to what we talked about this past Sunday, which was wholesome gamma, unwholesome gamma, new gamma, old gamma. This past Sunday, we talked about, you know, what is gamma and how does it affect us? So now on this Sunday, we're going to be talking about merit, which is a unique type of gamma in order to help you to develop this unique type of wholesome gamma. And we'll be discussing that on Sunday. So you can read the book either prior to Sunday or after Sunday or before and after, because then it'll help you to soak the teachings into the mind. And then next Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation together, where we'll be cultivating this active goodwill towards all beings in our minds so that now we eradicate anger, hatred, ill will, and we can start practicing more and more loving kindness in our life. And this is where, again, our relationships really blossom because now our intentions and our speech and our actions are all emanating from this wholesome quality of loving kindness rather than from anger, hatred, ill will, or any of those lesser versions of that. So that's really important to build up a loving kindness meditation practice. So thank you guys for joining for today's class. I'll see you either this Sunday or Wednesday, maybe both of those days. Until then, have a wonderful and lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.